Hello and thank you for listening to our iStart PIA Relay podcast series brought to you by NIHR Dementia Researcher. iStart is a professional society and part of the Alzheimer's Association, representing scientists, physicians and other dementia professionals active in researching and understanding the causes and treatments of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. In this five-part series, we've asked members of iStart professional interest areas to take turns at interviewing their colleagues and being interviewed themselves. Confused? Don't worry, it'll all become clear as the week progresses. We'll be releasing one of these podcasts every day in the build-up to the Alzheimer's Association International Virtual Conference to showcase the work of iStart PIAs. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us in, the, in this uh, podcast. I am uh, Henrik Setterberg, Professor of Neurochemistry at the University of Gothenburg and University College London. And um, I chair the, blood, uh, the biofluid-based uh, uh, PIA. And today, I'm delighted to introduce Professor Prashanti Vemuri to you. Uh, and uh, I will actually start by asking you to present yourself, Prashanti, please. Thank you, Henrik. Uh, my name is Prashanti Vamuri. I'm an associate professor at Mayo Clinic, and I am the chair of the Reserve Resilience and Protective Factors PIA, and I'm delighted to be here and talk to you a little bit about what we do, uh, both at PIA as well as in my adventure research work. That's great. Uh, and I can also say up front that I'm super excited uh, by this because uh, the theme of your P uh, PIA, it's quite positive, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, so we study how people can really age well. How can people be more resilient in terms of their cognitive performance and how do they have uh, exceptional brain health? And so it's a very positive thing. And we try to identify mechanisms and lifestyle factors that contribute to people really being able to age well. So it's a positive thing, absolutely. So how do you address mechanisms in these studies? I think that is an exciting topic. Yeah, absolutely. So we look at mechanisms from two perspectives. One is how we design the study. So there's a lot of heterogeneity in the way people age. They're a subset of people who do not have any pathology in their brain. So they're able to avoid pathologies or resist pathological changes in the brain. Some of them study how people are able to do that, how people are able to avoid amyloid and tau, the primary proteins in Alzheimer's disease. And then some of us look at people who are really old and really have uh, excellent brain health, cognitive performance and memory. And we try to understand what was in their lifestyle and how are they able to maintain this cognitive performance very well. That's one aspect of it. Good study design to try and get at uh, lifestyle factors that might contribute to better performance. The second part of what we do is a lot of us look at biomarkers, genetics, other factors, imaging mechanisms, for example, and try to follow people over time. What brain changes are they having and how are they able to compensate or how are they able to cope or be resilient to those changes? So it's both the study design as well as tools that we use, such as biomarkers, imaging, and genetics to look at them. Mm. 
So how, um, so, um, thinking about the research questions here, then your PIA must be quite broad in terms of expertise, right? It's, it's uh, I guess there are geneticists, biomarker people, imaging people, clinicians, psychologists. Absolutely, this is one of the very broad uh, teams that I've seen. And I don't know if it's still true, but last uh, beginning of this year or last year, we had an estimate of how many people are in the PIA. So we, uh, we interact with about 600 people who belong to the PIA and we have people from all aspects of dementia, as you can imagine. People who are interested in lifestyle interventions, neuropsychologists, imagers, CSF, blood biomarker people. There's a lot of cross overlap with all the peers that are that exist within ISTAR. Hmm. So, so how, how far have you come in this research? How, how much is genetics and how much is lifestyle? So I think if we put everything together, we are able to probably explain 30 to 50% of the variability completely, not 100%. Hmm. But the goal is to get to 100%. Um, so if I had to give an estimate, we do pretty decently with 30 to 50% just based on lifestyle, genetics. And uh, if you add the imaging changes, for example, you would, uh, you, you would push it above 50%. Hmm. What do you think, um, what are your main um, objectives now with your uh, PIA work during the coming years? Uh, what are the biggest research topics you, you think will need to be studied in, 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 in your group of researchers sort of? So uh, let me just give you a little bit of history of what we did in the last couple of years so I can tell you where we are going. So Jakob Stern, who's the, who's the person who coined Cognitive Reserve, and he was the founding chair of the PIA with the intention of bringing together people who are interested in cognitive reserve resilience and protective factors in Alzheimer's disease. And so the first thing then when the PIA formed is that we got together, a lot of us were involved in writing a white paper on how we define terms in the field. So this was published in Alzheimer's and Dementia in 2018. And subsequently after the publication of that, we heavily got involved in this NIH-funded collaboratory, which was, uh, again, led by Akao Stern, to try and help the field understand the mechanisms of reserve and resilience and what terms should be used. The next step, as we see, is that uh, we are working on a white paper on study design research methods that people in our field use. So we reached out to every member in our PIA and try to understand what kind of terms do they use and what kind of study designs they use so that we can make it available to everyone to look at the study designs we use in reserve resilience and protective factors. That's our first goal, to try to get and understand the complexity of the research methods we use, make it available to everyone. We're working on the white paper. The second is we are going to try a lot to improve the participation of early career researchers. So we, are, we have modified our AIC scientific session quite a bit. So we have a database competition, we have a thesis competition, and we're also exploring how we can reach on to uh, mentees who are much younger and encourage some pairing with a mentor and increase uh, participation in, uh, in our PR. And we also plan to expand our PS outreach through newsletters and social media. Hmm. 
Are, are you also involved in cross-PIA collaborations? Um, one could easily see some uh, biomarkers uh, go in, uh, work in, in, in good synergy with, with what you are doing and... Uh, uh, absolutely, we have a lot of uh, cross-PIA collaborations. We had one with uh, the disparities PIA uh, diversity and disparity sphere. And this year we, we have uh, a session where we're presenting at the perioperative uh, cognition peer, and we're trying to uh, trying to help different peers as well as absorb concepts from different peers that will help us look at mechanisms. Mm. Are you also planning for intervention studies uh, or, or um, is that a future uh, topic? I think it is a future topic. It's still in nascency, the interventions, and uh, we hope to touch upon it and look, look at it deeply in the future. Mm. How are you planning now for the upcoming AAIC? We will be virtual and, uh, and uh, of course the PIA work has been a lot about networking and putting people in contact with each other to stimulate new projects and research. Uh, uh, starting. Uh, how have you worked on that or you, to, to make that happen? So, yeah, so it's a work in progress. We have a fantastic 90-minute pre-recorded talks. We're trying to get a lot of younger generation folks to come and participate because there are going to be competitions. So we, we are reaching out to them, asking them to submit abstracts. But we also have a section where we try to bring in experts from the field. For example, Michael Valenzuela, he's worked on the WHO consensus of cognitive reserve, which, which is being run by International Federation of Aging. So we, we, we are trying to bring some experts in. And David Bartes, from, who's a vice chair in our group, he's going to present on how we are planning the white paper on research methods. Mm -hmm. So all of us are going to do a, a mix of senior and junior investigators. Uh, so that is going to be very can I ask you a little bit about your research career also? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm an imaging scientist and I lead a translational team at the Mayo Clinic. And we mainly focus on, of course, resilience research. But the question we ask is, what are the pathways to exceptionally age? So I'm not at, in my 50s yet, but uh, all of us want to reach 80s and 90s and maintain excellent brain health, be sharp, have great memory and cognition. So we're trying to develop and leverage imaging technologies to capture early changes in the brain, be it vascular disease, amyloidosis, tau, or age-related changes. And we try to look at all of them, model them, and try to understand and solve the puzzle of cognitive decline. Hmm. How did you get interested in this, in this topic? So uh, the first thing is, uh, I, I really didn't choose dementia. <laughs> Like you said, Hendrik, serendipity, right? And uh, but dementia chose me. I, I'm an engineer by training. So my bachelor's was, was in engineering. But when I got into my doctoral work, I was interested in how to develop really uh, innovative MRI technologies to visualize tiny blood vessels in the brain. That was my first interest in, in, in doctoral work. And then when I looked at the postdoctoral experience, I really wanted to figure get into a field which was re really translational. And you would agree, Henrik, that our, uh, our field, especially the group of people that across the whole world who are involved in this research, it's a highly translational effort trying to get 
better technology detection methods into uh, dementia, treatment of dementia, intervention and prevention. So I interviewed with Cliff Jack at Mayo Clinic and uh, rest as you say, I just got lucky and I went with the flow and I'm really enjoying the ride. It's an amazing field to work in. I, I, I have, I, I, I also have gotten the sense that it's, um, of course, it's sad that we haven't had uh, the, the the real breakthrough in terms of treatment yet. But that, that has also humbled the field to some extent. That we need, realized we need to work together to get to make this happen. And of course, then also lifestyle and anything that could help would be of great value. Um, it's, uh, do you think you're much more senior than me? Do you think we'll solve it by 2040? Yeah. You yes. Will we have I to because otherwise, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's it's. Um, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, we, we. Um, I, actually, I, I can't help but hoping that we would get a treatment um, approved in the next few years. Uh, but uh, that is more wish and hope, of course, than perhaps. Uh, and I, what what I hope for is that perhaps such a, such an approval could could unlock. The situation we are in at the moment that we could potentially learn from starting to be able to prescribe something, but uh, I mean this is almost not scientific, but uh, I think we are in a, an exciting time, and also with all the imaging technologies you have developed and your colleagues and the the, the biomarkers and now also the blood biomarkers, genetics, and uh, everything else that is known about um, um, brain function life, lifestyle and all those things i I really feel like we have learned learned a lot and that that should translate into something that one could uh, uh, give to people at the uh, early uh, stage disease. Uh, of course, one would love to prevent it from happening uh, altogether, of course. What, what do you think, what is most hopeful in terms of, um, in terms of resilience and factors you could do something about yourself? Uh, what would you say? It's a factor that uh, is hard to do. <laughs> It is good sleep, low stress, being involved in, you know, uh, intellectually stimulating activities are all good things that help with reserve resilience. But the problem is sleep and stress is hard to get a good night's sleep and not have stress because there's, there's a lot to go around. But I think we can, in terms of intellectually stimulating activities, being scientists and the early stage investigators or listening to this, are in a good spot because we're always constantly working on new problems and we mentally challenge ourselves. So I think we are building reserve and resilience that way for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that's nice to hear actually. But the sleep is a bit worrying. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I also think that there, uh, sleep is so interesting, both from a neurophysiological standpoint, but also these clearance mechanisms and, and uh, sleep is such a fasc fascinating topic all, all together, I think, because it must be, I mean, of course, it's super dangerous to sleep. Uh, you can be eaten up by, by uh, it's, it's, uh, you're defenseless, but uh, we, we sleep, we need to sleep. And if yes. you can't sleep, it's, uh, of course, you get super, super ill from it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I sleep a little bit too little. I, I'll, I'll try to work on that. Um, That's great to hear, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, would you say that I mean, thinking about the young researchers and someone trying to choose a PhD topic, what would you recommend uh, from your perspective? 
So a couple of things uh, for younger investigators who are trying to choose topics. The first thing is choose something that really interests you. PhD is the first vehicle to try and get good at problem solving. And then second is, don't think that this is your topic for your life. So don't be too focused on picking a topic that you really want to keep going. As scientists, we evolve over time. The work I've done has evolved over, like I was an engineer by training, I went into imaging technologies, and now I'm doing a, a problem that really excites me and gets me out of bed. So don't feel like you're married to that topic all your life, but really in your PhD, focus on problem solving really well, understanding uh, how science works and develop a method to how you approach problems. I think that, that will help you throughout your life as a scientist. Yeah. It's, it, it, that's almost like learning the craft of scientific work then. And that is during the PhD time. Yeah, I agree completely. That's what it was like for me as well, I think. I, I studied Epstein-Barr virus and lymphomas. That was my PhD topic. <laughs> so it was, it was not until I started to specialize in clinical chemistry as a medical doctor. Then I met Kai Blenov here in, in the lab and um, he helped me with uh, writing recommendation. I, I, he told me about all seven disease biomarkers in CSF and then he helped me networking so that I could get a good postdoc position. And that was an important step for me. Uh, so what's your advice for the postdocs, the people who are, have defended their thesis and they are about to, to become a postdoc? So I would say network a lot. Like yeah. you said, Henrik, we are, we are what we are because of the network that we have of scientists who we can go and ask questions. Don't be shy talking to someone. Hmm. And uh, an advice for everyone, you would agree that choose mentors that support you. And you should constantly revise that and realize that people are generally flawed sometimes. Even I make mistakes. So choose for multiple people that you can learn good things from, right? You can pick up good habits and good uh, scientific uh, skills from. So I, I would encourage them to reach out to people senior people like you, Henrik, it's amazing that, you know, I could talk to you and our field is pretty open that I can come up to you in a conference and say, Henrik, I read this paper and I thought this was very exciting. So I think you, you appreciate, don't you agree? As senior scientists, we appreciate people reaching out to us. I agree completely. And also uh, this recommendation not to be shy because, uh, I mean, if, if one, uh, if, if, and of you listening, if you are a, a PhD student and you think about something that you would like to address, then, then finding out who, who does the, the best work on that particular topic and discuss with that person or, the, or that group directly. It, I think the, the, from experience, I could tell that most often you would be welcomed with open arms. No one would say that oh, there comes a person who is asking questions about something that I, I do not have time. It's not, it's not at all like that. Uh, I think it's really uh, on the contrary. But then in, in science, it's also competition. What do, you, what, what, do you have any reflection on that, Prashanti? How much should one promote oneself and how much should one collaborate? And how, how, is there a balance there to consider? I think there, there's definitely a balance. We, are, we need to be, I always tell students that we are two ends of a spectrum, like being a good scientist. There's one spectrum where you are only focused on science 
and the other spectrum where you're a great manager, great networker, you have amazing collaborations, work on people relationships, and all of us are somewhere in the middle. And we are on a different spectrums of that, being a good scientist and a great networker and collaborator. I think you should devote, devote time to being a good scientist and spend time with your mentees, think and reflect on what you want to do. But if you lose track of that and you're drawn much more to the other side, then you are caught up in this, uh, what do you say, a cycle where it's hard to realize why and be excited about why you came into science. So I think you're right, Henrik, there's a balance. Mm. And I, I'm sure you do the same thing, do you? Yeah, I, I, what I have um, thought about throughout the years and also try to recommend some people have asked me is to learn something uh, especially to learn a technique, to learn a tool, to refine something to, so that you really can contribute data. Uh, and then when you have learned something which is a little bit unique, and of course you will then uh, teach other people how to do it also if it's useful, then uh, if the data generated are uh, good, they will be of, of use and that will initiate collaborations and you would be able to contribute your core expertise all the time. It's, it's sort of trying to build a core expertise um, in yourself and, and, and then from that one can be on various steady ground to, to, uh, to uh, collaborate and, and enjoy this, this um, scientific environment. Completely agree with you. Mm. Um, I, I um, when when you look forward to the to the next year only, what, what what are your plans then? Next year, a lot more focus on um, mechanisms. We we are trying to look at imaging based mechanisms of how people are have greater reserve and resilience. So I'm pretty excited about the studies we have designed. We've added genetics to our studies. So I'm excited about that. Uh, so yeah, a lot to look forward to in, in my team, but for the PIA, I'm excited as well. I see more and more involvement from junior uh, members in our group. We have some uh, junior colleagues in the PIA who just graduated with a PhD for taking a lot of le leadership roles. So I see mentoring them as well as mentoring mentees in my group as one of the interesting things that's coming up. I think this sounds great, Prashanti. I, th I think I will um, ask for becoming a member in, in your PIA when I, when I circle out of the BBB PIA. Yahoo, we, we got our first member. Good, good. Uh, is there anything you would like to add now, Prashanti? So I would suggest that we should just totally uh, go with the flow and try to enjoy being a good scientist and work hard at it. I think that is a wonderful uh, final statement here. So I thank you a lot, Prashanti Vemuri, and I wish you best of luck now with the upcoming AIC meeting and the upcoming work. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can find details and profiles on today's panellists and information on how to become involved in iStart on our website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk and also at alts.org forward slash iStart. We'll be back tomorrow with the next recording of in our iStart PIA Relay podcast series. Finally, please remember to subscribe, like and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify and all the other places where you find your podcasts. 
Thank you.